Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Mark Hirschberg on the line. Mark, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on today. I'm looking forward to this conversation. So you do some amazing work and we definitely want to dive into the career toolkit, but share with the audience a little bit about you. Yeah, my background, I came out of MIT back in the 90s and started a career doing tech startups. I became a CTO. I've been in multiple verticals. Primarily, I do cybersecurity and media. I've done labor markets, I've done new types of authentication systems, I've done online advertising, a whole bunch of different industries. I also have been teaching at MIT for the past 20 years, and I volunteer with a couple nonprofits like Techie Youth and Plant a Million Corals. It's amazing, amazing career. Uh, just you know, doing anything with MIT you know, is innovation and all of that, and you started this in the 90s, and I think back, to, I worked in IT in the 90s, and you rode the dot-com wave until that went kaboom, and then, hmm, okay, I think I'm going to go back to my original career of accounting, and then ventured off into a lot of different things until, you know, I got to where I am today, but, you know, thinking about, you know, what cybersecurity looked like in the late 90s to what it looks like in 2021, wow, slight difference uh, as far as you know the the tax and where tax come from and you know all the things that are uh, connected you know we've got more and more things connected we we're talking about cars being connected and all of this stuff so uh, what interested you in in that type of work as a young kid I really liked secret codes and so I did that just you know, a little hobby the way like a nine-year-old would when I got into MIT I studied both computer science and physics Physics funding was declining in the 90s. Technology was booming. And when I mentioned to, I think, the department head that I had been interested in cryptography, she put me as my advisor, uh, Ron Rivest. He's the R in RSA, so one of the pioneers in the field. And so that was fantastic. That just helped get me on that path. And I uh, studied at MIT. But to your point, when I graduated, there were not a lot of opportunities. You could basically work for the government maybe Microsoft or IBM, but that was it. I didn't want to work for a big company. So I stepped away for a while. I had focused on secure electronic voting, in fact, which the market was basically only the government back then. Uh, but now, of course, it's much more common. For a while, I tracked terrorists and cyber criminals on the dark web. And I've got a couple patents in different aspects of cybersecurity. So it's really, as you point out, it's been booming. It's something we now all have to worry about. It's critical, as especially as you know, everybody was sent home from work uh, a year ago, and you know that was always a big fear of everybody in IT. It was like, okay, wait a minute, we can secure our network here at the office. We 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 we're pretty confident that we're good, but all of a sudden, someone goes home and they have zero security to speak of, and it just creates all types of situations. So I'm sure a lot of CIOs had a lot of sleepless nights early on in this pandemic wondering, okay, how is this going to work? Even though as time goes on and you know, internet connectivity and VPNs and all of that has helped a bit, but it's still, um, it's always a concern. I, I can't imagine that that concern ever goes away. It unfortunately won't because not only will we 
now have, okay, a, a larger footprint. Now we're in the homes of our employees, but those employee homes, they're BYOD by nature, right? In your home, you have not only your laptop and your spouse's laptop and kids' laptops, you have your cell phones, you have your printers, you have an Amazon Echo listening in on your calls. As you're talking to your patients or to your financial advisees, confidential conversations, you literally have third-party devices potentially listening in that can be hacked. And so this problem is not going away anytime soon. Yeah, so it's called job security for people that work in the yeah. industry. Um, it's And it's a great thing. So, so fast forward to, you've got a book, uh, The Career Toolkit. First, I always ask authors this, you know, what inspired you um, to write to write the book? Or sometimes I'll ask, what in the world were you thinking to give up so much of your time to write a book? Because it's a time-consuming endeavor for sure. But, you know, so what, what motivated you to, to write the book? I have to explain the class first to, to explain that question. Years ago, when I first started hiring, I would ask people a technical question. And technical means just in their domain, marketing or accounting or whatever. And they'd give me the right answer. Okay, great. You know what you're doing in your field. But then I would ask questions like, what makes someone a good leader? What are some of the challenges you have when building teams? And I would get blank stares because we don't teach these skills to people in school, and yet we know they're important. So I had to build these skills in my team. I couldn't find it. I couldn't buy. I had to build. And after doing this for about a year, I heard MIT was putting together a similar type of program. So I reached out to them, said, can I help? I've been working on this. They said, sure. So I helped develop the program. And then they said, can you come help teach? Because although we have wonderful professors, we need that perspective of practitioners in the field. And so I and other people like me have been now teaching there for two decades. When I was doing the book, I didn't plan on writing it. I just thought I was going to write up some notes for the class. And this is something we could share with other schools because this is not an MIT problem. This is not even a college problem. These are universal needs. Corporate America has been telling us, like literally in surveys to MIT and other colleges, we want people who are leaders, good communicators, team builders, negotiators, good networks. We're not seeing these skills. So I was just writing up notes. I thought I was writing 20, 30 pages of notes. And that became 50 and 100 pages. And at that point, I thought, you know, maybe this is becoming a book. And I was happy to put that out because it's going to reach more people than just those who can take my class. Yeah, I know that the leadership aspect of training is definitely a self-driven thing. It's not taught uh, in many universities or even within organizations. You're really good at your job and you get promoted to manager and then you're really good at that. And then next thing you know, you are promoted to a senior level or C-suite. And unless you've taken it on yourself in many cases to get the training to be a leader, you're leading a ship and you have no idea how to negotiate what empathy looks like, all the aspects. The so, there's so many dimensions to leadership uh, that in everybody needs to be aware of all of them and figure out which ones work for them and their organizations. And it's, like I said, a lot of times a self-driven adventure. So your book is, is absolutely critical uh, to help people you know, develop those skills along the way. So because you can be a leader, it doesn't matter if you're the front line or the CEO, everywhere in between, you can lead your work. You can lead the work that you do and maybe the department that you're in 
uh, whether you have the leadership title or not. And it will show and it'll benefit the organization and the people you serve. And we talk about that in the book, that leaders aren't simply titles and is a mentality and mindset. But to your point, so many of these skills, let's think about networking. We've all heard networking is so important. We've heard this for years. I certainly heard it growing up. Did anyone actually sit down and teach you, by the way, here's how to network. Here's how to be effective at. Everyone's telling us it's important, but they don't train us. Interviewing, how to do so. We learn a lot how to do so as a candidate, but how to do so on the other side of the table. I've met so many execs. They've hired hundreds of people. They've never had any formal training. I say, well, you know, I get by. I mean, I get by cooking in my kitchen. Like, I'm not poisoning myself, but I'm not a great cook, right? And you shouldn't put me in charge of a restaurant. And yet we take these people and say, well, yeah, you know, I know how to interview. I've done it before. But if you could be more effective in your interviewing, you could get and retain better employees. Even looking at sales teams or lawyers, people who the nature of their job is to negotiate, and they've had zero negotiation training. Although it turns out negotiating is something we all do, as is leading, communicating, all these skills. We're doing it all the time. Zero training. Yeah, you, you brought up a really good point as far as being a good interviewer. Because I've seen several organizations, they will use a search firm. Nothing against them. I've worked for one in my career, and I've also utilized them to find roles that I've had in the past. And a lot of organizations are saying, no, we're going to do it ourselves because we know our people and know what we want. But in many instances, they really don't. And you see a lot of turnover in those organizations. So just simply being a better interviewer and truly knowing the type of person you need in this role. Everybody has the skills. You know, I used to work in healthcare. So interviewing nurses or dietitians or other professions, not a problem. They've all got the credentials. You know, everyone comes in, they've all got their credentials. It's a case of can this person do the role and thrive in this place? Because you want somebody coming on to your organization to be able to thrive and grow because they're going to likely stay longer and or promote to a higher level or even in, in a lot of organizations, and I remember a lot of boards of directors and managers would argue with me on this point. But if you have a, an employee that is an absolute superstar and they choose to leave because they have a better opportunity somewhere else, you've done them a favor by creating that Petri dish for them to be able to develop and be really strong for their own career. And that new organization is getting somebody that's really great. So you're actually making things better in a societal way because you're making other organizations great by the way that you lead and train people yourself. Yeah, and you know, it's you bring up an interesting point. When we interview, we often think about measuring people by these basic metrics. Do you have this much experience? Do you have knowledge of this particular tool or technology? And yes, that's very important. But what we miss, something like, will you fit into our culture? And people, their culture, I think, oh, it's the seven principles we have on the wall. That's not your corporate culture. Your corporate culture is when there's a disagreement, is that argued in the meeting or is that done coalition building prior? Are you a company that everyone likes to communicate by email? Someone who doesn't, they're going to be seen as unresponsive in this culture, right? If you're not a fit in terms of how people interact and engage, you're going to be perceived as less effective. You're not going to work well with others, and it's not going to be good for either side. 
but this is never engaged and discussed in the interview process. So we have to be more thorough in understanding what are we looking for beyond just the mechanics of skill set and evaluating that. So your book, obviously, it's been out for a bit. How do you see it applying to post-COVID-19 pandemic and what work will look like over the next five to 10 years? Because as we talked briefly in the pre-show, we know that there are a lot of roles that exist today that simply won't because of automation, just the way society moves, you know, changing demands and whatnot. So what are some things in the book that would kind of highlight on some of those things to help people you know, really grasp on to being open to you know, take on some new, new skills and, and pick up some new opportunities as, as work as we know it continues to shift? I'll mention three, although there's many more than that. So certainly as we develop our networks, because in this shifting landscape, in all the changes coming, having a strong network, it's going to help you find new jobs and opportunities, will also help you hire, will help you be aware of coming changes. We don't just use our network for finding a job. We say, hey, what's going on in the industry? What should I be looking out for? What trends? What should I know? And that's where our network can be helpful as well. Communication is particularly important, especially on our distributed teams, because as our communication channels get more narrow, right now we're still face-to-face, we can see some body language, we can hear tone, but other times we might not have body language, it might be tone only, or as we use email and Slack, you might not get tone. So learning how to communicate more effectively to different types of people, to different audiences, will make us a stronger communicator and better in our jobs. And then, of course, there is learning to add value. So technology, yes, it removes some jobs and more likely changes jobs. So consider the automated teller machine. When this came out in the 70s, everyone said, well, that's it. No more tellers, right? Tellers are going away. And by 1995, every bank branch had an ATM and there were half a million uh, tellers in banks. They said, well, this is the high point. So here we are 25 years later, and COVID aside, uh, we're now at 600,000 tellers. So what happened? Well, tellers are no longer just about handing out cash because you can go to the ATM for that. Now, when you walk into a bank, they say, welcome, sir, how can we help you? Can we talk about investment opportunities? Can we talk about brokerage services? And so we took the people in the role and we changed that job. Lawyers, they're going to spend less time researching cases because now you have search tools. Now you have the equivalent of spell and grammar checks, helping them be more efficient in redlining documents. Doesn't mean lawyers will go away, but they're going to move up to more high value services. For all of us, they talk about this in the book, understanding the value you deliver, looking for the trends in your industry and understanding what value will be automated to your point and what won't, and then focusing on these upcoming areas, the high value areas. And this is how you're seen as adding value and staying ahead of the automation curve. Yeah, it's plenty of opportunity because I know in conversations I've had, there's a lot of industries where they see AI taking over a lot of the roles, but we still need people to work on that AI. We still need people to do a variety of different things. And it's an opportunity. And I I tell people, it's like, look, and I love how you say, look for the trends. If you're interested in a particular field, what are the trends? And there's, thankfully, with the advent of internet search and all of that, it's 
downright impossible not to be able to find something. I, I, I've yet uh, to go on you know, Google and search something and say, no results found. It just doesn't exist. They'll, they'll, they'll suggest, did you actually mean this? Because for some reason you forgot how to type today. You know, I guess if I just, you know, you know, did like a cat thing and, you know, type on the keyboard like a cat would. Yeah. The, Google may not be able to find that, but the, or they may come up back and say, you know, your cat is looking for something, you know, I don't know. I, I've tested that, but at the end of the day, it, opportunities are there and your career is an investment in yourself. Okay. It, it's something that is important to you because it, it, it's your vocation. It's what you wanted to do. It, and we've all changed careers and you, you have, you've shifted. I've shifted. A lot of people have um, gone are the days where you get out of high school and you go to work someplace and 25 or 30 years later, you get a gold watch or something like that. And then you retire and you know, all that stuff that, and then, quite frankly, that wouldn't interest me, even if that was an option. Like, I don't, why would I do that? I've, I've I've had much more fun learning and doing different things in my life that makes me more well-rounded. And I find that all the skills that I've picked up along the way help me in, in everything that I do. Right. And even if you say, I do love this, I'd be happy to do this for 30 years, the world is not static. Your industry will change the macroeconomic events will change and you have to be prepared for that. And so in chapter one, career planning, I talk about how you create a career plan, starting with the questions you need to ask about your career and your life in general. And you might have a very clear idea, this is where I want to be in 10 or 20 years. You might not, and that's okay. And that's about creating a plan. A common misconception is, well, what if, what if it's wrong? Well, it, it can't be wrong, it can change. And just like our plans at work or project plans, we know when you make a plan, you don't stick to it to the letter. You know things are going to change. Might go better, probably gets worse, and you have to readjust. But we always want a plan for our projects. You never say, let's do a year-long project and just wing it. Same thing with our life, which is a lot longer than a year. So create this plan, get input from others, and then map out the plan, but constantly check in and say, how am I doing? Do I need to change things? Even that ultimate goal might need to change, and that's okay. But if you don't have a plan, odds are you're going to wind up lost. I love the check-ins. That's something that I do myself you know, all the time. And at minimum, a deep check-in twice a year to say, okay, how is my year going? How is my personal life going? How is my health? How is my career, how is work that I'm doing, all the things that are, you know, tying up and filling up my calendar and, and making the days and weeks and months fly by, I, I take a pause and go, okay, what is, what's working? Is there anything that's not? And I can pivot and adjust and take time to look and say, okay, what are the trends? Is there opportunities? And, and too often, if we're driving you know, down the interstate too fast, we're not going to see you know, a road sign or an exit or a warning sign that, yeah, the road's going to be closed in two miles. The next thing you know, you're like, okay, how do I get out of this? It, same thing with your career. If you're just blindly going through things and not paying attention to what's happening in your industry, you know, something like a pandemic may shift it. You know, there, there may be some roles that once this is behind us, may end up being phased out over time because they've automated some things because of necessity at first and realized we don't need to have as many people 
working on this because we've automated some of it. So if you're in one of those situations, you know, you, you want to take advantage of the opportunity to go, okay, what do I need to do to find another opportunity within this organization or a new skill to keep me in this or a new skill to go somewhere else? Uh, it's always, always keep those options open for you. And, and uh, as they like to say, never stop learning because you know, the skills that you pick up along the way are going to make a big difference. Absolutely. And to your point, spending, you said you spent a couple hours twice a year. So we're talking, what, six hours a year? That is a massive payoff for a tiny investment. And in fact, one important thing as we learn these skills, these skills are different than how we usually learn knowledge, right? We learn knowledge, we learn what are the new accounting regulations this year? How do I use the social media to market? That's just you read an article, you go to a webinar, you gain that knowledge. But when we look at these skills, when we reflect on our career plan, we think about how do I become a better leader? What's helpful is to do it in a peer group, do it with other people. And what I recommend, and this is based on how we learn, it's how we teach at MIT, it's how top business schools teach this, create a peer learning group. You can do so in your organization, you can do so with friends, you can create a local meetup group, and you take content. Now, yes, you can use my book, but you can use any of the other books I recommend, any books you like, great podcasts like this one. And you say, okay, we're all going to listen to this podcast episode or read this chapter and then discuss it together. Because as you think through your career plan, someone else might say, hey, have you thought about this? As you look at leadership opportunity, you say, well, here's how I'd approach it. So, so I'd approach it differently. And that helps you gain a better understanding because unlike learning how to market on TikTok, there's no one right way to be a leader, no one right way to communicate. And so you want to get this myriad of perspectives. I love that. And that's I'm a firm believer in the, the peer groups and the networks for growth, for getting clarity on your business, because as, you know the fishbowl effect in a way where you, you kind of say, okay, this is how I'm seeing, but someone sees something differently. And that observation can put you in a different stratosphere as far as your business or your career or anything else because of the other views that people get. So, Mark, I've loved this conversation and I'm you know thrilled that the book uh, is, is doing well. So, where can people find out more about you, the book, and all this awesome work you're doing? You can go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. From there, you can learn more about the book and touch with me. You can buy it, of course, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, local bookstores. On the website, you can also download the free app it's available in the Apple and Android stores, but it's linked from the website. It contains a lot of the content of the book. When you read a book like this, you forget it three weeks later. So this will, you don't even have to open it. It will pop up each day like a daily affirmation with one of the tips to help reinforce what you've been reading. Or you can use it right before a networking event or a negotiating activity, open it up and get that crash course refresher because you're not going to be carrying the book with you. And then there are other great tools on the resources page, other books, other links as well as a download for how you can create these peer learning groups within your organization. All that is free on the website, thecareertoolkitbook.com. That's so awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Mark, thank you again for your book and, and for this incredible work you're doing. It's going to make society and work as we know it better. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.